Street, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is episode 324. With that number, we have to give a shout out to Vanessa DiBernardo, the Chicago Red Stars. She has served up 324 corner kicks in the regular season in her Chicago Red Stars career. She leads all players in NWSL all time for regular season corner kicks. So way to go, DiBernardo. All right, one long episode today that's all about NWSL, and it's two chats, but with the same person, my pal Dan LaLetta, who often writes for Equalizer Soccer, uh, talking about the framework of the season, the players coming in, players to watch, things we like, things we don't like, you know, our usual soccer woso crankiness slash historical perspective. And of course, there's a Jen's Planner segment this episode, uh, reviewing soccer positions by the numbers. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at KeeperNotes, also at MixZone with two X's. And please like, subscribe, share all those social media things that you're supposed to do. Great, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with her favorite partner in soccer crime. Soccer crime being, of course, being really cranky uh, about women's soccer sometimes and and knowing way too many stats. And of course, that would be Dan LaLetta uh, from Equalizer Soccer. And I'm sure you have some other credits to your name, Dan. I mean, we got to flesh out your personality for the listeners, right? You're not just you're not all women's soccer. Um, No, I'm not all women's soccer. I have uh, I've written about horse racing i've covered the wnba finals um i know those aren't those don't exactly go hand in hand um <laughs> an occasional nfl coverage back in the day and um but yeah women's soccer though that that's uh has very much become my identity at least in terms of of my media persona and then maybe a little tennis maybe a little baseball yeah did a little tennis um, never did baseball, honestly, in, in an immediate capacity. But yeah, a little ten- tennis is a lot. I love tennis. I would probably, if I could pick one sport to devote the rest of my life to, it might be tennis. So then the question really for you is Serena or Naomi? Oh, well, I mean, obviously Serena has the career accolades. I think when they played last at the Australian Open, it's pretty evident that Naomi right now is past her by and is the better player. Um, but if you're asking me to split hairs between uh, the two teams they have ownership in, you know, I can't, I can't go there. <laughs> but nice. I'll tell you, I'll say this, <laughs> Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open, which I do often stay up till all kinds of crazy hours and watch it, um, had the courage cap on and a lot of her post-match news conferences. So I'll give her the edge at the moment in terms of uh, representing the brand over Serena so far. Nice. Nice. So, you know, you might not see a lot of writing uh, from Dan about tennis these days, but obviously you can find his stuff at EqualizerSoccer.com. Follow him online at the, or rather follow him on Twitter at the Dan LaLetta. Um, two parts this week, Dan, because you guys are going <laughs> to, because we're going to talk a lot um, if I can get my words out correctly. Um, first, we want to talk about, all right, we've got the beginning of the regular season. We finally got this schedule like right before the cup ended. I kept thinking, like, does no one notice that they we're supposed to have a season <laughs> after you this might... cup? And don't don't, don't we want to have a schedule? You know, there was a study. Or it wasn't a study, but there was a thing in an airport where an air an airport that was really busy moved their baggage ter- terminal really far from the gates, so that by the time people got there. They didn't have to wait very long for their bags, even though it actually was taking longer to get there. But people right. were walking, and right. the complaints went way down. I think that's kind of what happened here, because usually they were the distracted. Of February, and people were like, "Oh my God, where's the schedule?" And they say, "Well, this is about when it comes out every year." This one got, I think, closer than ever, but there were games going on because of the Challenge Cup. So, like you said, they were distracted and, and didn't realize it. And honestly, it. You know, it's fine, and especially when there were games going on. We know it's difficult to get these schedules made, and there's stadium availability and television and whatnot. But, yeah, it was it was tight this year. It certainly was. Well, I think if it were a quote-unquote normal year, 
it would have been a bigger issue because for the teams, they want as much lead time to sell tickets as possible, right? Correct. But we're we're still in, in a transition zone with COVID where some venues are about to be fully open, some are partially open. There might be a, still a couple that aren't really open. Um, so it's probably a little less pressure from the clubs themselves to say, hey, right. I need to sell these tickets, right? And people aren't traveling There's no expectation, yeah. And right. the traveling crowd is one that gets up in arms because they want to plan their trips. And I don't think that's happening as much this summer yet. Right. But I was thinking more just from, from each club, like, hey, we know a, a big part of club revenue is from home games and, Absolutely. you know, especially not having almost none in, in 2020. You know, these and this is would be pretty not... Important. This is not limited to the NWSL, but teams in the NWSL and other sports leagues, they are running with the notion that the games are quote-unquote sold out, even though the numbers are lower. <laughs> they sell off the allotted tickets, which is gay. That's good. You know, sold yeah. out is uh, it's a marketing. Yeah. Sold marketing sold out thing. means there are no available tickets to sell. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I remember... Um, this probably still happens for the LA Galaxy whenever they're in uh, the CONCACAF Champions League. And so they have midweek games in the spring. If right, it falls, if it falls during, yeah, if it falls during a, a week that uh, CSU Dominguez Hills is in session, they can only sell half the venue. And if you want like, a really entertaining debate about that, and if the Galaxy ever get back there, go to the uh, bigsoccer.com attendance thread for a major league soccer and there'll be like three pages going back and forth about whether it's really sold out and what does that mean and why do they play it on those days if, if need be. They also apparently, right, the uh, the burn, I think they call it, is like unlimited seating. So it's – Yeah. Like, it could be 27,000. It could be 30,000. But it's just when they get to 27, that's it in terms of yeah. attendance numbers. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that uh, for fire code reasons, there's only so many that you could let up on that burn. Right, right, right. Anyway, right. No, they don't just pack it in, but it's not yeah. like a set number of, of seats. Yeah. So back to end of your cell, because Dan and I are good at, at, at tangents. Um, so we only had a one week before, I mean, between the cup final and regular season kicking off, which in a way I liked because it was like, hey, we've we've kind of been building, we're building, you know, like this was not a cup was not a preseason right like those games were intense from the get-go that first night you know having nwsl after dark and you know four four red cards so those games were intense um don't tell that to the coaches who lost and said well we're you know we're just kind of getting ready for the season (laughs) (laughs) you know so we have we have that cup and then then it's like hey but it's not over that was just like that was the appetizer that's what i'm going to call it instead of preseason it's the appetizer um and then, well, boom, we're into a regular season. Yeah, I mean, it would have been maybe nice to have a week to get geared up, but at the, they also had to do the buys for the preliminary round because they split it into divisions. So right. you would have had a number team of teams with in the like, groups. You would have had a team with three weeks off if they didn't make the final right. at the end, and you could have had those teams maybe play a standalone TV game on week one. But then if one of those teams was in the final and one of them wasn't. Yeah, there's, so, there's no easy way to plan around that. Yeah, it wasn't great. But, it, you know, and I'll tell you what, though, the two teams in the final were the only two teams to win on week one. So there was no hangover in terms of the teams that actually played in the final. And I know the Red Stars were one of the teams that were, quote unquote, off on the last week of preliminary games. And I read an article and I apologize, but I forget where. I apologize to whoever wrote it. Um, with Rory Dame saying, "Yeah, I think the time off did is good, and you know we trained really well, and I think we're going to come out and play well." And uh, that didn't happen. So, um, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's, I mean, it feels like everything with the NWSL has this little built-in excuse, like it's not great, but this is the <laughs> reason why you know we can let it go that it isn't great. Uh, but how nice is it just to get all 10 teams playing on the same weekend? Because that hasn't happened in a few years now since. Like, oh, the, my gosh. Having, went under. having an even number of teams, right? Like there's it, it just makes the whole schedule smoother, right? It means we've got fewer midweek games. It means, yeah, you get five games in a weekend. It's just, yeah, it's so much better. And it makes me you know, really, really want to have two new teams for 2022. So we go straight to 12, right? So we don't have a weird 
hey, there's 11 game, 11 teams, you know, yep, in, in, nice. in a season. Though I was, I found it a little strange when the regular season schedule came out, you know, and I'm plugging in the dates into my Google calendar. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Why, why is Houston playing Kansas City twice in the first five weeks when we just played them in the cup? And then I noticed that some teams, there was a pattern like that, that a lot of teams face the same opponent twice before the FIFA break. And I, I don't want to discount how incredibly complicated it can be to put the schedule together. And and for those of the wonder about it, I mean, Meg Linehan had a great article on, on The Athletic about, you know, it's like all the different pieces that, that come together, right? Because it's not like you have all these venues sitting around with no dates, right? You know, that are all open. And then you also have to factor in like travel days how far people are traveling right like like you wouldn't want to make any team on the east or west coast do two cross-country trips back to back right you know like all, all all of those all of those factors and then of course you want to support the teams if they're like hey we really want a home game this weekend because you know it's whatever weekend in our community or nothing else right. is going on and or this is when we traditionally have a game you know the first year i think every team went to seattle and portland on the same trip and did a midweek weekend or a weekend midweek and uh i, w- I want to direct everyone to pro football talk peter king wrote about the nfl schedule and apparently i think he said the 13th schedule would have been acceptable but they kept going and they went to 102,844 schedules now of course (laughs) the nfl probably spends more money on salary just in the people working on the schedule than the nwsl does for its entire front office probably the point is it's it's incredibly complex and you know they've got you know they've got a lot more years and probably a lot more resources to get things ironed out but i don't like when teams play each other too often too early or any, right. any point or, or late season. right like like i also yeah, noticed I houston and portland face each other like i think twice in the last five weeks and it, it's like i i like when it's spread out as much as it can be so that when i look at the standings i've got a good sense of how teams really line up right and you also don't want teams to face other teams in you know and, t- and this is all circumstantial but you, you know if you know, say, you know, Mewis and Daly are going to be a big deal if they're gone to the Olympics for the dash. But even if there's injuries involved, like you don't want te- you don't want to play the same team multiple times in the same form cycle or the same injury cycle. You want to kind of spread it out a little bit in that regard. And you know, if anybody's been watching the NHL this season, where they only played it within the divisions because of the travel issues in Canada. Oh my I mean, gosh, those poor Canadians. Absolutely, but it's it's brutal because it's the same. You know, there's eight teams in the divisions, and they're playing the same seven teams all the time. And it's like, you know, I want to mix it up a little bit. And I think there are too many teams in some of those leagues, but I don't want to see the same matchups all the time either. I want to see fresh matchups. I think there are sports like baseball that are meant to be played in bulk, where you play the same team three or four times. And I think sports like soccer are meant to play one team and then move on and play somebody else and not see that team right. again. A little right. bit. And if it happens, you know, make it a, you know, sometimes you'll see like a Champions League semifinal with two teams in Europe and from the same country, you know, they just happen to be playing on that weekend. So they play three times in eight yeah. days, but then it's a novelty and it's top. Yeah, that wasn't that planned. Really yeah. Games. Right. Yeah. Well, and at least with, you know, the the repeat matchups early in the season, at least they're home and aways. They're not the same team visiting the same opponent um like right. i thought it was so strange in 2019 after the world cup uh dash's first two home games once all the players were back was sky blue back to back like well okay that's weird <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> that's very yeah. unexciting for the fans they are like oh great we get to see carly lloyd and then like okay we get to see carly lloyd again you know that, that yeah kind of- I- Exactly, but you got to mix it up, and you have to be comfortable with all of your teams. You know, where you know you want to sell your stars, and you want to sell, you know, Alex Morgan and you know whoever else you're looking to sell. But you've got to be comfortable with all the different matchups and all the different teams that are coming into your your yeah. place or that are going to be on your TV. 
Yeah, definitely. And now um, that's that's a good segue to, you know, we're on Paramount Plus this year, which, you know, was CBS All Access. So the games that aren't on CBS or CBS Sports Network will be on Paramount Plus, with the except exception the of their, their except there are going to be some Twitch exclusives, um, which means those games Twitch everywhere for everyone. And, and then the recent announcement of uh, games on the radio which as I understand will be picking up the audio from the Twitch games. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, but what are your thoughts on the, on the radio? Um, it's not live radio, right? It's, it's going to be available in a day or two, I believe. Oh, I thought, I thought it was live. Maybe it might be, maybe it's home games live and away games. I, I should have this information in front of me, but I don't. Um, I, you know, I think it's wonderful, but I also think, you know, I don't, I haven't listened to a lot of soccer on the radio myself. I think it's a hard game to translate to radio. And I think depending on who your broadcaster is on Twitch, um, you can get a call that is very suited for radio or a call that is not suited for radio at all. And that could be somewhat problematic, but you know what, if you, anything that you, that can Anything that can link you more to your hometown team, I think, is great. But I think if you're going to do it, the next step would be to try and actually get hometown announcers because then you can start yes. to relate to your broadcasters. And then, the broadcasters then you have the option of then you can have a home broadcast in a way that we haven't had home broadcasts. Um, yeah, since WUSA, in, in really. Maybe a couple in WPS. Because even the games um, that are on, like, the NBC Sports in Chicago and Washington. I don't know if they're doing that again this year, but that was a direct um, simulcast of the um, whatever CBS, whatever what yeah, Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, they're just picking up an existing it. feed. They're not doing. They're not adding their own audio and, and graphics. Well, for right. iHeartRadio, it, it does say it's um, live coverage of two matchups per week. Okay, and will allow replays until the next live. Um, game. Gotcha. Because I mean, because I, I don't know why you would go back and listen to a radio broadcast when you can go watch it. Well, yeah. So they'll just you know leave it up there. But uh, I mean, it's it's something that that I've always thought about when I when I've been calling games is that part of what you you need to be saying is for the person who is looking away, um, whether it's because they have it on a phone and they can't see everything or they have it on a phone and it's secondary to something else they're doing. Right. Like, uh, Absolutely. Or, they, or they've got multiple screens or you have it on in the car or, you know, th- th- that, that kind of thing. Right. So, so it's like, um, I, I thought about, you know, that's why you, you want to repeat, like, you know, going right to left or, you know, that's, that's why what, you know, the play by play person says should not just be who's touching the ball, but what they're doing with the ball. Right. Cause one of the weirdest things to me in terms of right to left is when you go to a game and then you go home and watch highlights. And if you were sitting on the non TV side <laughs> yeah, and you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's really not what weird. I saw. But, yeah. <laughs> but I think this is one of those cases where, and I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming. So it's great that they went this direction I think it's one of those things where the money they spend might it might not be tangibly evident how much that comes back to you, but I really do believe if you can get teams with hometown broadcasters that can connect to your fan base, I think that can be a huge way to build this thing up. You know, as we continue to go forward, you know, I mean, I you know when I, I grew up as a Met fan, and the three people that I feel like taught me baseball were my father. And Ralph Kiner and Tim McCarver on the Met broadcast because they just had a great way of explaining baseball and they knew the Met inside and out. And, you know, you don't necessarily get that the way, you know, the way the broadcasting setup is for the NWSL. So, uh, you know, I think it could be more beneficial than meets the eye in terms of how much it would cost to get hometown announcers. Well, and and I would imagine that iHeartRadio, this is like, okay, you're getting your feet wet seeing like yeah, yeah hey sure. let's see that's done and, and then you know that's like oh people are listening okay let's let's set up more and <laughs> you know it's it's the same with twitch like the twitch exclusives are because twitch is like hey we we want to get involved more in in live sports 
Right. It's kind of like the Challenge Cup. Nobody wants the Challenge Cup to be what the Challenge Cup just was in 2021, but the idea is good enough. And the reasoning why they did it this way was reasonable enough that it's a good building block. But, you know, so no, but if I think if the Challenge Cup is the same in 2022 as it was in 2021, that's a failure. But I think the 2021 version was necessary. So this could be the same sort of thing, a, a nice step to get to a better place. Same with the 200-week the preseason? Exactly. I, I had a lot of people asking, "What what were they doing?" I, I, I said, "My my assumption is that was just hedging bets against COVID." Right? It didn't help, though. I mean, it, I don't well, did, well, like they, we saw great soccer on week no, one. I, I I don't think this is just my guess. I don't think it had anything to do with advantage. I think it was, hey, um, if the players come into camp, right, we're testing them, we're keeping them safe, following protocol. Um, if things get delayed, they're already with us training. Right. It, yep, I, to, to me, to me, it was just it was hedging bets against COVID. Right. I know it was ridiculously long, and um, you know James Clarkson even said to me, like in late March, he goes, "We've already had more practices this year than we had in all of 2020." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and and of course, some teams were able to get a few college games in. Um, most most weren't. You know. Um, but I just, you know, I, I feel like it was just a hedge against, hey, what if, what if there's a huge shutdown? At least we'll have all the players in market. Yeah, in there, I, think, you know? I think they handled the way they got this season going because I think you were the first one that told me about the idea of the Challenge Cup first, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. But then in thinking about it, it did, it did make some sense. But hopefully, never again. But it made sense for this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like. As, as many asterisks as we can put on 2020, we can put several on 2021 as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And like you and me, you know, we, we've been talking offline about streaks and whether the streaks from 2019 continue. And it's like, well, Merritt Mathias has now gotten a yellow card in two consecutive games, you know, spanning like 19 months. But they are two consecutive regular season games. So. Well, and, and, and that's a good segue too, Dan, because, you know, while you and I are both talking and, and, and my listeners are listening, I, w- I want to explain, as I have gensplained many times before, but it's just like, hey, we're entering a new adult era of NWSL where we actually have the phrase all competitions. All competitions. Right? You know, so there are streaks that are alive for regular season play, right? Like Jane Campbell still has a streak for consecutive regular season games played for the dash. Now, obviously she didn't play two cup games because she was with the national team, but it didn't break her regular season streak. Correct. It would, if she had an all competition streak, it would have been that streak separate. There will be like a challenge cup, all time goal scorer, regular season, all time goal scorer, playoffs, all time goal scorer. And then combined would be, all competitions, much like, you know, the European teams that, you know, we know fans already follow. They've got their regular leagues. They've got champions league. They often have cut play as well. So if you refer to all of those goals together, you would say across all competitions. So the trick is making sure that all the notes that I write for broadcast and that all the announcers qualify things correctly, much like uh, as, as you were whining to me, via text that uh you know the announcer said it was the first time alex morgan had scored since 2018 and you know you wanted the qualifier that's like well obviously she scored at the world cup <laughs> yeah kind of a big deal too and uh, you know right but but it's the kind of thing that, that like hey if if you're calling an nwsl game stuff you're saying should be relative to to an right. nwsl game but, but i do get... think you have to factor in like both sides of it right and that'll get easier too because we did lose 2020 in terms of the regular season. So I think it'll get easier to digest when we get a few years into the regular season and challenge cup happening simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, I've, I've joked about this in the past of how, you know, we've, we've definitely finished elementary school in terms of Andy Russell. And I think we've just turned the corner on junior high and we're kind of, doesn't high it school. also feel like when you go into the next grade, and inevitably, in the first few weeks, there's a concept introduced, and the kids don't get it, and the teacher stands up front and says, didn't you learn such and such with Mrs. So-and-so last year in fifth grade? Right? Like, we're at, And they we, go, no. <laughs> right. We, we graduated, but I, like, did we learn everything we needed to learn is the question. 
I'm not or, sure or, we have. Or were they just promoted to just, you know, they aged out a fifth exactly. grade. And said, no child yeah. left, be, no child left behind. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a quick break and Dan and I will come back and we will talk about new players for NWSL, returning players, NWSL and, and all the under the radar players that, that Dan wants people to watch. Time for a little gensplaining. This week's topic, soccer by the numbers. Actually, soccer positions by the numbers. Um, If you're new to watching soccer, or in some cases not even that new to watching soccer, you might hear an analyst say, oh, they play like a classic number 10, or she's the perfect number 9, or what they really need in this formation is a solid 6. And you're wondering, going, what? I don't remember hearing numbers growing up playing soccer or watching soccer on other channels or back in the day um i would say the numbering thing it's actually a very classic uh kind of number usage but i'd say it's only within the last 10 years that we've heard commentators really start to use those numbers and then and the ones we're most that you'll hear most often will be six eight nine ten you know um So think about it like the goalkeeper is usually a one. The defense will be your lower numbers. Your tackles will be the higher numbers. And I think part of this comes from back in the day when once they started wearing numbers in soccer, whoever the 11 were to start, they wore one through 11. Um, But for now, if you hear someone talking about a number six, they're talking about a defensive uh, holding midfielder, right? Um, Someone who plays directly in front of the defenders. They're responsible for keeping the ball out of their area, intercepting passes, keeping the ball away from the opponent, and, you know, kind of getting things started for the offensive line, managing rebounds, sending the ball forward. Um, A number eight, more like a central midfielder, um, usually the most hardworking role (laughs) on on the pitch. Uh, You often hear the phrase box-to-box midfielder. They're covering the most ground. They can play both defensively, offensively, depending where the ball is. They have big responsibility for distributing the ball to other players. So they they usually have really good ball handling skills, passing skills. Um, More often than not, if they're taking a shot, they're taking a shot from distance. And then attacking-wise, you've got, you know, your number 10. You know, think of an attacking midfielder slash forward, Carly Lloyd, Marta, right? Um, We've seen Rose Lavelle wear the 10 for Washington Spirit when she was still with the Spirit. Uh, Classic number 10. They tend to sit between the midfield and the forwards. Uh, Really good dribblers, really good scorers, obviously. Um... They don't hang back uh, with the other positions. Uh, think of it as like this is the director of the orchestra, right? They're, they're, they're controlling uh, the play, directing the ball, creating scoring opportunities, your classic playmaker. Whereas your, your nine um, could be a center forward or a striker, uh, more like... Just, I, I mean, I would say your best example is an Alex Morgan. They play very close to the other team's goal. All they're supposed to do is score. Teammates try to pass to them off, and so there's a lot of pressure. Um, so that, that, that's a, that's a kind of just a basic overview of those numbers. Those are the numbers that I hear the most when um, I hear analysts and play-by-play announcers use the numbers in soccer coverage. If you want more information on these, I would just, you know, Google like soccer positions by the numbers. I've found a lot of great articles that just kind of break it down what they mean. Um, But keep in mind, you do not have to use these numbers in conversation or even social media posts to look like you know what, what you're doing. So hopefully that was helpful. We're back. Jen Cooper, the keeper with Dan Laletta of Equalizer Soccer, because we just can't stop talking about women's can't soccer. Can't stop talking. Well, and, that's, and that's why everyone's listening, right? Um, Can we point out that you texted me the other day about 21 players who were in the 18 on week one of 2013 and 2021, <laughs> and I promptly gave you all 22 of the 21 Wait, wait. So, does my podcast exist to just make you feel better about yourself? No, 
our text <laughs> conversations do. Because you know, okay, our text conversations do. Because yes. we had that competition when I beat you in 2016. <laughs> but after, but you know, but you get paid to do that now. I know, and, you and I still I still one up to you on this one. <laughs> yeah, you're the man behind the woman. I get paid to do the writing, but I don't get paid specifically to pull stats. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's all bow down to Dan because he did win the Woso nerd off at uh at my second Wosico back in twenty sixteen. Back when we could have Wosico. Maybe yep. maybe there'll be another Wosico in, in twenty twenty one, Dan. Wosico, of course, for the uninitiated is women's soccer conference and you can look at info from the previous Wosicos if you go to keeper notes dot com um might need and a five-year anniversary nerd yeah off. and i can't help but uh you know if, if a stat gets stuck in my head or a question about a stat i or you know I'll, i will text dan going hey what about this um and of course going through uh, entering all the stats from this past weekend it made me think okay how many of these players played or were on the 18 the opening weekend in 2013 and it was over 20. It was kind of cool. And there's a lot more that were on rosters, like Mots was not in the 18 this weekend, right? Rapino right. was not around right. yet. Right. Um, you know, it's, I don't know if you want it, to count it's, it's larger. a few others. It's larger than I thought it would be. But anyway, we digress. Um, so new players coming into the league. I mean, of course, we've got the big flashy names, of course, because of the rain. Um, we won't see them until sometime in June, but Sarah Buhati... Jennifer Marchand, uh, Eugenie Le Sommer, uh, really exciting additions for them. Only signed on loan for for this year because the of course, of the because of course, uh, twenty twenty two, they've got uh, the Euro to worry about. So this this is hey, they're not playing in the Olympics. You know, let me come do this th- this loan deal. I think it's exciting to get players of that caliber in the league. I just think it's such a strange context um, how the rain is doing this. But tell me what you think, Dan. Yeah, I mean, it's not unusual, right, to have major players go on loan for major stints. Um, You know, we all remember David Beckham went over to AC Milan, I think, when he tore his Achilles and trying to get into the Olympics as an overage player. Right. You know, Landon Donovan at Everton and all that. So it's not like it's an unusual scenario but you know I, this was what I this is why I wasn't doing cartwheels over Lyon buying the rain because you don't want it to be the B team and I guess it looks like more than the B team when you have players of that caliber coming over but it just it it's not you know it's not like ooh this is the future of the rain this is like they're going to be there for five or six months and if it works it works and if it doesn't work then maybe they'll find some other players to bring in next year and like you said you know france didn't make it to the olympics this year so uh that was you know i guess the rain benefit from that more than anybody else france not being there so yeah and i honestly i think sarah buhati even though she's a goalkeeper i think she is worth the price of admission i think just the way she plays it's just exciting. Whether it works, whether she makes a blunder, I think she's worth watching. Uh, Marajan, obviously, same thing. Lesso Mayer, same thing. I don't know how it's going to work, though. There's a lot of players there, a lot of talent. And what do you do with players that you need to have back on your roster in 2022? You know, Shirley Cruz and Quinn and players like that. Are those bubble players that just get lost in the shuffle? And then you say, oh, by the way, or they, do they get do they get loaned out somewhere until those other loans end? Right. I mean, yeah, it, it I all comes it all comes back to kind of what what you started with is you know what are the rain building right? Like it, it to me this doesn't seem like team building. This seems like okay, just we're just rolling in some big name players. And that maybe you don't blame them to. because Lyon, the parent club in France, is not exactly like they're in need of team building, they go out and people want to be there. So if you're good, they're going to probably make you an offer and, you know, maybe you go there and that's how they win all the time. At Lyon well, and, 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 so, and, and Lyon, I mean, they exist in a, in a different context where, right. you know, they can pay whatever they want. They're not dealing with, uh, you know, salary caps and, you know, and their league is not 
nearly as competitive once you get past you know the first the first few teams you know this is this is a, a much different proposition coming down to your cell you know i think it's really smart for you know listener and marashan especially as field players to challenge themselves in in different ways especially yeah. you know when they've got a, a world cup uh, you know on the horizon and in a little over two years but it's um, got to be weird because you know somebody in, on the in the courage midfield gets bumped when Sam Mewis gets back, right? That's pretty evident, and everybody knows it. But when you've got Lace Omer and Marajan, don't forget Rose Lavelle is also going back to play for the Reign. So that's another roster spot and position on the field that is gone. But of course so, she's. And, but of course she's. She'll be apparently eligible for May thirtieth, and then May basically, 30th. then basically rejoins the national right. team. Right, right, right. So, but <laughs> yeah. but it's got to be uncomfortable, I think, to be in that team right now knowing that there's all this turnover and that it's temporary turnover. It, it's it's unusual. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, you know, I'm not jumping for joy over it, but I'll I'll be curious to see to see how it goes. And I still don't feel like that team has I have yet to see them play since Farid Ben Stiddy has been there. I've been like, wow! I finally get what they're trying to do here. You know, they've won some games. I think they're 500 with a lot of draws since he's been there. But I haven't yet been like inspired by it. And you know, and I'm I haven't watched them and said, oh well, if you get Marjan in there instead of whoever, it's going to be wonderful. So we'll see what happens. Because for Ben Steedy, I mean, this is really his his first season. Um similar oh, yeah, to he had an impossible debut season. yeah yeah we're like and in a way it's almost freya coombs first season but she did at least have the benefit of having been part of sky blue in 2019 taking over for the last five games and you know of, of that season so wasn't coming in fresh to a league she'd never coached before and then coming into a pandemic with no preseason games. Um, but yeah, I feel like we'll have a better sense of their identity probably at the end of this year, because of course with this Olympic year and the rotation in their, in their roster, it's, it's going to be really strange. And one thing I want to clarify, uh, you know, for fans to understand is just because Olympic Lyonne um, owns the majority of the rain does not mean that there's an automatic door between the two teams per NWSL rules. You're allowed X number of players on your discovery list. I, I don't know if it's four or six. Um, it's probably on the, the new rules that came out last week. Um, but that's the maximum number of players that you can have dibs on who are not currently signed by your club. So right. rain, rain can't go. Everybody on the Leon roster is, you know, we have dibs on. They can't, uh, which is why we saw uh, what Kansas City signed Jessica Silva from Lyon, right? Right. It gives them a big advantage, but it, it gives, doesn't. It gives they them a big advantage. Yeah, but there, but there's there's no automatic. Um, there's you know, and you can't you know freely move players back and forth. There's actually transfer windows, which is why uh, Buhati, Marashan, Lusamer, they're not coming until the transfer window opens up. In June, basically, right. it's like at the, at the end of league play. Same thing as Bardsley's loan with Rain ends, at, at, you know, d- during that window. Basically, she leaves to go back to her English club, and Buhati comes in. Bardsley to, is to great, by the way, but Bardsley and Buhati could not be more different in terms of how <laughs> they play that position. So that's another adjustment, and I think their backline is the weak link. You know, even without the other players, and so it's going to be interesting. I love Karen Barsley. I remember her very fondly from Sky Blue WPS days. Uh, but you know, she is a sit-back shot stopper, and Buhati would play out in the above the eighteen the entire game if she could. And Barsley had her work cut out for her in in the cup. She had the most saves per game uh, among among all the keepers. So it's I, I've enjoyed watching her play, having her yeah, part her of this league. Her and Casey Murphy both made some unbelievable saves in that 0-0 draw the other night. And some of them even happened after the sun glare lifted off the field at Cheney <laughs> Stadium so we could see them. So we've we've got... Uh, who else do we have coming in? Um, Ebony Salmon coming in from the UK. 
Uh, Gemma Bonner was signed uh, a while ago by Louisville again. You know, she has to get a visa and wait for that transfer window. And we've got uh, U.S. national teamers returning. Like you mentioned, Rose Lavelle, who the rain acquired her rights last summer. So she's, you know, she's the the Man City season has finished. So she's coming back. And that also means Sam Mewis rejoining North Carolina. Um, we do know that Abby Dahlkemper, she's signed with Man City through summer 2023. Um, so she's not going anywhere right now. We, Mewis and Lavelle both had one-year contracts with an option for a second year. Yep. Um, we haven't heard anything on, on Heath or Press, have we? Well, there was some media availability with Christy Holly last week, I think. And I wasn't on it, but a few people told me that he was asked and said, we've tried, we've tried and didn't make it sound particularly enticing. Uh, I do wonder if they will move those players, but my sense is they will not be playing in Louisville, but maybe back in the league. And, you know, don't forget Tobin Heath has been injured a lot. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, everyone thinks they're going to L.A., next year to play for Angel City, and that wouldn't be a bad way to start your club. But remember when Orlando went out and sold the farm for Alex Morgan? That hasn't really worked out too well for them. You know, Press and Heath are both great in their own right, but those players that you want to, you know, mortgage everything to start your franchise with, you know, getting back to what we were talking about in the other segment is that, you know, we you want to build teams and you want to build camaraderie with your community. I don't think you need these big stars anymore. I think... That team should be able to build on itself and just put a good team on the field and not need Kristen Press to be there to, you know, like stop, no pun intended, but stop the presses, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But my understanding is very unlikely, if not completely ruled out, that they will ever play in Louisville. Right. Well, and I think we need to keep in mind, too, that they're both older. Um, right. Or no, no, let's put, let's put it this way. Alex Morgan is still younger than they are, right? Younger than them now. And five years ago, Orlando sold the farm to get her. So, <laughs> and they're just now, and they're yeah, just they're now both, coming out of that. Yeah, they're they're thirty two. Uh, they're both thirty two. Tobin's almost thirty three. Um, that's not you know a player you sell your farm for to. Uh, you know, build build a future franchise, right? And especially Heath, because Heath hasn't really stayed healthy for very yeah. long stretches of time. Press yeah. has, but I, I don't now, know. Now, if, if either one of those players were to, and I, I don't see them doing this, but if, I, if either one said, hey, we won at the Olympics, I'm done with my international career, I just want to focus on club, to me, that would be a different proposition, right? Because then that player is available all the time, is not constantly traveling between the two, getting yeah, hurt more, too. you know. Um, that that would be a different proposition. Because um, what I like to say, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not just age, it's the mileage, right? So a 32-year-old who is only playing X number of games a year is much better for your club than that same player who's playing two X. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, we keep, we keep saying with Mal Pugh, you know, maybe the best thing that happens to her is to just forget the Olympics train every week with the red stars. Don't commit silly fouls at the corner of the 18 to put your team in a bigger hole than you're already in. And, uh, you know, yeah. see if you can just stay healthy like that. And I think the same thing honestly applies to this group on the rain, it's been a long season in Europe. I'm sure it's been mentally trying because of the COVID protocol. So there's no right. assuming that, you know, Marjan and Les Omer come in and go guns blazing in a new league that is probably going to be a good bit more physical than they're accustomed to on a week in week out basis. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, I, it's going to be so weird just because it, it it's different. It's new. I'm glad to see players like that transferring in, wanting to come over and not, uh, you know, even though they are a little bit older, to me, they don't seem like they're players yet who are doing that. Oh, I just want to retire in the U.S., right? I don't think we're we're on the MLS narrative. I think they're more on the like, hey, much, much like we had Lavelle and Mewis go, hey, I, ha- I suddenly have this off year because of the Olympics being postponed. This would be a great chance to go play abroad and get a different experience. To me, this is the same thing. 
you know, Buhari Marashan with France and Germany, not in the Olympics. It's like, Hey, I can have this eight month adventure, you know, in the right. U S um, and then come back you- and rejoin my team for the Euro. And remember when Mewis and Lavelle went to Europe and the other players too, nobody really knew what was going on. Right. In terms of when or if NWSL would ever play again. So Every, everyone, everyone was panicking. Like I wouldn't say if they'd ever play again, Dan. Um, well, but, that's, a, that's a stretch, but you, I mean, you have to admit. A yeah, you, did, you didn't know when, like you didn't know when there would please. be a game again, right? Like when they left in August, if there wasn't a fall series, there wouldn't be a game again. That would have been eight months. Right, and that's what killed Orlando because they sent all their players out alone because they didn't play a Challenge Cup, and then all of a sudden they had to scrap this roster together right. for the Fall Series, which actually I think maybe paid them some dividends, but the group that they tried to have together for 2020 never got to do anything. Right. And, you know, they, but they're actually they've been pretty good here these last couple of weeks. I will give Orlando some credit. They uh, They are better right now than I thought they would be. Well, and I want to get back to to Louisville a bit. Um, I, I mean, I, I see a lot of fans say, I can't believe that Louisville thought that those players could play for them. You know, it's like, I don't believe for a second that Christy Holly ever thought that he'd be able to get Presser Heath to play for him. But knowing that he was less interested in building his roster completely through expansion, when he saw that those rights were available knowing that that could be a bargaining chip for the, for the future. Right. And again, this is, this is my assumption uh, on all of this, but um, you know, and, and think too, the previous expansion drafts only went to 10 players. This could That's have been, they, they, they could have had up to 18, um, but they, they did the trade uh, with Chicago. So of course they still got, you know, two players and then doing the, Taking Heath and Press meant, meant that those are the only players that they yeah. could I take from, they, from those clubs. But I, I think it's like it, ge- it gives them long term options in a way that Houston and Orlando going through their expansion drafts didn't get any kind of chip for the future. Does that make sense? It's, it's like yeah, I, th- I think it was a smart yeah. move because even if even if they end up getting absolutely nothing from having taken Heath's rights or Press's rights, they spent nothing on that. Yeah, I think they did weirder things than that in the draft, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and obviously C.C. Kaiser has worked out great. Um, and Beethoven has been a great leader. Yeah, Beethoven has been a good leader. Um, you know, but who's the key, the other keeper they took from the Spirit? I think was Getting an odd on. pick. I think they were much better players on the Spirit, and they could have gotten a goalkeeper as good as, if not better, than Katie Lund. You know, elsewhere, but I don't have a problem with the way they handle it. And I do think, like, I would be surprised, barring long-term injury or retirement altogether after the Olympics, I would be surprised if neither Heath nor Press wind up playing in the NWSL again. And maybe their value won't be quite what they might have thought when they made the picks, but I, I would venture to guess... At some point, Louisville will get something for them. I mean, Lavelle yeah. was what a first-round pick and two hundred thousand in allocation money. Now she's a lot younger, maybe more dynamic, but she's also on the injured list more often than she's not. So we'll see if that winds up being worth it for for OL Rain and all, all the price they paid to get her. By the way, for the hundred thousand that they just had to ship to Washington when. She came back. Don't forget, they also traded Allie Long to Gotham, and they got eighty thousand in allocation money for that. So on the net, they basically traded Allie Long for Rose Lavelle and twenty thousand in allocation money. And uh, that's something we should talk about. There. That's something we should talk about too, Dan. Is the allocation money because I've noticed um, I, I moderated the Twitch chat for the first time this season this past weekend, and I saw a few fans saying that well, all teams have the same amount of money, and it's like. Well, they're allowed to use up the same amount right, of money. They have access to the same amount They have money. access to the same amount of money. Um, but it doesn't mean you automatically... It doesn't mean that the league handed you... Well, what was the starting number? $350,000? $300,000. Yeah. What it, what it means is that you can tell the league, okay, we're actually going to use 
300,000 of the 400,000 max. We're going to actually right. use we're it. We're activating the money. Yeah, we're activating the money. Um, but a club can choose to not touch allocation at all, meaning they're they don't have that money. They're not spending. You know, they're not spending the money. Basically, that's you think of allocation. I guess as, as as like it's the overage you can go on your your bank account. You know, if if you want if you want to spend it on players or I think there's other developmental things they can play out. But it, it but it didn't mean that hey here everybody gets this money because there's some people saying well everybody's got the same amount of allocation. It's like but not everyone's using it. Right, and you're still spending the money. It's not like, you still have you know, to spend have, the money. The league didn't give it yeah. to you. The league right. gave you permission to spend. Yeah, you don't go to you don't money. go to town hall and say I'll take my three hundred thousand now so I can make yeah. this trade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I do think it'll change. It's a game changer, and uh, we will absolutely see. I mean, you think about um, Kiki Pickett, who Kansas City just officially signed the number four pick. I think what did they spend two hundred thousand or more? just to trade up into that spot for right. Gotham. So that's actually more than the rain paid for Rose Lavelle. You know, I don't know that we have the, I don't know that we figured out exactly what allocation money is worth. And it might be one of those things where it's just worth whatever your level of desire and desperation is in any particular moment. But that's an awful lot, I think, to give up for the number four pick. Well, and when you think about, you know, um, Katarina Macario heading to Leon before the draft. So obviously, you know, she couldn't be drafted because she had already signed. Um, that 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 deal was what, 350K? Yep. You know, like that would put a lot of pressure on Louisville or whomever would select her. Or it's like, wait, you know, that's the value of a number one pick now. But then I have to bring this rookie who's never played a pro game into my locker room with all these people making 40 or 50K. And I think the big thing is what are these teams doing with the allocation money? And it's not fair to judge it on year one because of COVID. Because um, I, I think Marajan and Buhati were going to go to Utah. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons. It's probably better off that didn't happen. But they ultimately decided, you know what, we're not going to leave because it's too weird to go during COVID. Now they're with, oh, well, rain and Utah doesn't exist anymore. Well, it, but, yeah, it just, it, sh- it shut down because they're, yeah, right. they wouldn't have been able to yeah, leave. Yeah, but, you know, Gotham acquired all this money on draft night and they used a little bit of it on Alley Long. Um, but they've got more money sitting in the hopper, you know, are they using it? And don't forget, you know, there was also that weird press conference at the draft. Like, when, when did we last have a draft? 2020, I guess, when Arnim Whistler, the Red Stars owner, said, you know, you can use this for certain operational costs. So you can theoretically, um, I don't know the details, but you can theoretically trade a player for allocation money and then use that allocation money that somebody else sends to you to take care of some team expenses. So, right. Uh, but, you know, I give it another two or three years. I mean, it's going to, you know, the world is not going to go back to normal for a long time after COVID. And it's probably going to be a very new sort of normal. So let's see what happens in the next few years and how these teams do go about spending the allocation money. But we've already seen that you don't need to get a lot of high-priced players. You don't need a lot of internationals to win, at least in the early years. That might change. But, you know, so far, you know, the Red Stars have not been big on the international market. Kansas City, when they were winning with Vlatko, never dug into the international market. So there's a lot of different ways to build a good soccer team. I think that's what's happening. And you you look at Houston last year, like, really, they're only international is Rachel Daly, right? right? They've, go got get the, her they've got the international. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she, yeah. And she actually came through the draft. So yeah. Same for, you know, Denisha Blackwood now, right? Like she's, you know, she was already playing w- within the league. Um, yep. So yeah, they haven't, they haven't really dipped into that pool either. And I'm really hoping that the new normal, uh, at least for NWSL means that we'll have more information about these rules, right? Where, you know, we, there's been announcements. We kind of know some of the allocation stuff. We got that big announcement last week of, you know, here's the competition guidelines and roster rules and, you know, all the information about, um, you know, the, the transgendered guidelines, which, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the league put out there. So they're not going to have to play catch up, you know, if they do get to a point where a player is like, hey, I'm I'm making the transition from being male to female and I want to play in this league, right? Like, but, it's very you know, well spelled out. If you, yeah. I mean, it's boring to but, recite, but it's very well spelled out. Yeah, but 
I'm still waiting on the, hey, what are the tiebreakers for the playoffs this season? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, what are the yellow card accumulation rules um, if a game ends early because of inclement weather? What, you know, at, uh, after what point does the score stand? Um, well, maybe that's you know. where they make it up as they go along. Oh, you're breaking my heart, Dan. Like, you know, no, been, I need to been, know these things. <laughs> it's been four, 45 minutes. has been the standard rule, I believe. One of the years Kansas City won, they clinched their playoff spot by beating the Breakers in a 45-minute game. Yeah, yeah. Weather rolled that, in. That's what it's been, and that's the kind of thing. It's like, well, so is that still true? And and I know one of the things that you like to complain about, too, is that we have no um, – what was the word for it? I, make good in, policy? In yeah, the, the make good for – uh, yellow cards, or rather, no, no, it's the good behavior. It's, uh, I think, the you know, your good well, behavior I call it, bonus. I call it make good. I like make good better. So our, our yellow card accumulation rule for regular season in season NWSL has been five. When you when you get five, you have to sit out a game. Um, usually, or rather, in MLS, what they do is, you know, say you're sitting on four. Um, if you go. X number of games without getting your fifth one, they take away one of your yellows, right? So Which that you they should, yeah, yeah. you know, a, that's a good behavior discount. That's that's the phrase I wanted. Or you know. another way to do this is do it on a point system. Whereas if you get a, if you get a yellow card for violent behavior, those points can't ever come off, and I'd be fine with that. But if you get a time wasting yellow, yeah, or a dissent yellow, or a shirt pulling yellow. That's where maybe either you get less points or when those can come off, because eventually what's going to happen here is you're going to get a player who's going to get three or four yellow cards in 10 games, then they're going to play a dozen consecutive games without a yellow card, then they're going to get a time-wasting yellow in game 23, and the nationally televised game to finish the season is not going to have a major player, and it just doesn't make any sense because... You know, the reason you suspend players is to deter them from getting yellow cards, right? But right. the real reason you want to deter yellow cards is because you don't want violent play. So, you know, right. some sort of... As opposed to the fall series where... Um, well, that was that was inhumane. Yeah, like Cujo gets two yellows in two games and has to sit out the third game of a four-game series. That's not even a tournament, right? Like, it's normal in tournament play... That in the first round, you know, right. we've seen this in World Cup too, but, but that's like, that's different. This is just a four game friendly series. And just based on everything that was going on in the world at that time, and they were asking the players to do this fall series. I mean, come on. That was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let's, let's finish on a more positive note. Tell me about the under the radar players that I need to be watching. Uh, fans need to be watching players that you think will surprise right, us. Well, I'm going to tell you one that's not under the radar and I'll give you an under-the-radar player, but Trinity Rodman, I know, gets a lot of attention, and she's been a little quiet at times, which is understandable because she's a forward, and I believe she'll turn 19 before this weekend's game, so we can't say tomorrow anymore. Tom- but I was going to say that, but I didn't know when you were dropping the pod. <laughs> well, I guess when the pod drops. By the time <laughs> the pod drops, she'll be 19. Um, she does so many little things well. It is staggering for a player of her age um she when she gets the ball and she's down the flank she will look up she will survey what's going on she doesn't always have to go to goal she can she makes the right decisions the other day against Orlando she was running interference for teammates after takeaways she actually was kind of important to the goal because she was she made a run and then she circled back and drew in defenders and obviously she can also play but her level of sophistication for her age considering she didn't play a game in college because she did um was it washington state didn't play right. in the fall and then she came out so she never got to play a game in college it is off the charts i think she's marvelous um for an under the radar player i tweeted this the other day i think phoebe mclernan who's been playing center back for Orlando. I think she's been the most improved player from week one of the Challenge Cup until week one of the regular season. She had that amazing long ball to Alex Morgan for the assist, so that got her a little attention. But the first couple weeks, it was her and Kanye Plummer playing center back for the Pride, and they were quite honestly a mess. 
They moved Krieger in, and it's obviously a lot easier when Allie Krieger moves to become your center back partner. But I think McLernan has been really uh, much improved. And I just think in general, the draft classes of 2020 and 2021, and hopefully they allow the 2020 draft class to be considered rookies, but that's probably semantics, not all that important. But I think there's some really good players in that draft. Natalie Jacobs can't get off the bench in Washington. I think she's got a bit of a future. You know, Abby Kim came into her first game for the Pride in the uh, Challenge Cup and scored that goal against Louisville. Uh, you know, Amina Ekic, the fifth pick for Louisville, I think has been really good. I think Victoria Pickett, the second-round pick, different than Kiki Pickett, no relation. Second-round pick in Kansas City I thought was great. So watch out for the draft picks. But uh, Phoebe McLaren is my one for the moment under the radar play. I also really like Lindsey Harris, who backs up Jane Campbell and should get some uh, more time when Campbell gets back in with the U.S. McLaren had the assist on Alex Morgan's goal yep, against, one. against the Spirit. Yeah, and Harris was incredible in her first two games for yeah, the Dash. She didn't Dash. have a ton to do, but she was in the right spot all the time and never never looked rattled or nervous yeah. being in her first game. Because she, she sat – because I was a little disappointed last year that teams like the Dash didn't give the backup keeper any run, even in the fall series. right. But she did finally get in. So good for her. Well, with that, Dan, I think I think we're going to wrap it up. I think you and I have complained enough and also offered some some positive stuff. So we could have complained a lot more. We we could have we could have, but yeah, we're we're trying to be humane. Next one mid season will be loaded with complaints. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. All right then. Looking forward to it. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, coming up in June, we have three, count them, three U.S. women's games all within a week uh, in Texas. Two games in Houston, game in Austin. I love that the U.S. women will be the first team to play at the new Austin MLS stadium before the MLS team gets to play an official game there. Tickets should be on sale shortly if they're not already. Uh, there is probably like priority sales based on if you're a U.S. soccer member and all that jazz. Um, all games will be televised, and I would think we'll have the roster, or at least the camp roster, leading up for it. You know, with, within the next week, the Olympic roster should be named shortly after that set of three games where the U.S. plays Portugal, Jamaica, and Nigeria. Uh, For more information, I would look at ussoccer.com. And in that window, when those games are being played, of course, a lot of European teams will have uh, friendlies. Um, It is a a FIFA international window. There will not be any NWSL games in the official FIFA window. And speaking of NWSL, lots of ways to watch and follow these days, along with Paramount Plus, Twitch, CBS Sports Network. Uh, the, the league has announced a um, couple of games a week will be live on iHeartRadio. So great to get more exposure out there. Um, for those of you that are looking for a way to watch CBS Sports Network and you don't have that channel on your cable keep in mind you can access cbs sports via fubo tv or youtube tv yes those are paid streaming services but they do come with free trials so you can try it out i highly recommend fubo tv even though it's a little pricey because it lets you save um games it's kind of like a a tivo kind of thing that you can save to DVR, but you're not using any kind of machine. It's just saving it in the cloud. So you can access on your phone, through your Apple TV plus through your desktop, etc. And they've got a lot of different games. I haven't explored YouTube TV as much, but they do not offer a, a save option. And I know, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to pay for this. I see a lot of fans commenting like, how do I watch this for free? Why can't I watch this for free? Try to keep in mind... Some of this stuff is really cheap. Twitch is free. Our Heart Radio is free. Paramount Plus is like $10 a month. You can go even less if you if you choose the with ads option. And if you want the league to succeed and the clubs to succeed and the players themselves to get paid more, then subscribing to Paramount Plus or YouTube TV or Fubo or whatever, that's how money is made. 
Um, if everybody's watching for free, league's not making any revenue. Their sponsors aren't making any revenue, so their sponsors don't want to keep coming back. Um, so that, that that's my soapbox statement for this episode. <laughs> Moving on, um, I do have the entire NWSL regular season schedule plugged into my Google Calendar. Um, so if you go to keepernotes.com, click on Wosipedia, you'll see the link for the calendar along with a lot of other resources. Like uh, I try to keep rosters by NWSL club up to date. Um, I have Google Sheet for all call-ups for the U.S. Women's National Team going back six years. So lots Lots of fun resources. And if you ever have a suggestion for something else you'd like to see on that page, just email me, keeper at keepernotes.com. Last but not least, when you're on that page, you'll see links for the NWSL Almanac that I've been publishing for the last several years, the first ever Dash Almanac I put together last year, hoping to do some more publications like that. Um, means a lot to me anytime somebody buys one of those and definitely helps uh, fund all the unpaid work I do uh, to put all that data together. So with that, signing off for episode number 324, want to thank, of course, Roughneck Scarves and IcarusFC.com for their sponsorship. Thanks to the Beautiful Game Network, of course, for supporting this podcast. All the listeners who like, share, recommend it to friends, mention it on Reddit, etc. And of course, my producer, big thanks for making this podcast possible. But now she's everybody.